There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Ann, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. Now, we have a wonderful guest today. Jeffrey Shaw is a highly successful business coach, author, and podcaster. His first career was as a professional portrait photographer, one of the most prominent in the United States. And after 35 years of providing exceptional service, Jeffrey decided to share his knowledge of business, branding, and marketing to support self-employed and small business owners. He became a consultant, an executive coach, and a highly successful podcaster. He is an in-demand keynote speaker, and he's an author, having written two books, Lingo, and The Self-Employed Life, both of whom, both of which are available on Amazon.com. And in, in 2014, he started a podcast, Creative Warriors, and later rebranded it as The Self-Employed Life. And with well over 600 episodes, his podcast is among the top 15% of all podcasts in the world. So, Welcome, Jeffrey, to It's All About Skills. Hey, Charlie, I'm glad to be here with you. It's always a pleasure to hang out with a fellow coach. So thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm delighted that you're joining us. Uh, to start off with, let's just look back in time a little bit and uh, tell us a little bit about your early background and what drew you into the field that you chose. So, uh, you know, in my initial original field being photography, so what drew me into that actually is uh, my father enjoyed photography as a hobby. And so we had a dark room in the house, which was pretty unusual. He'd convert, he'd built a dark room in the basement. And uh, I was originally intrigued by the chemistry, you know, back in the day of dark rooms and uh, the magic of, of chemicals and seeing something come alive. Uh, and then eventually I ran out of things to print. So I started, I picked up a camera, started shooting myself. And, and quite honestly, Charlie, it actually fit my my viewpoint of myself in life at that perfectly at that point in life because I I considered myself or certainly acted very shy I was a very withdrawn uh, teen uh, didn't hang out with neighborhood kids uh, was very very nervous in middle school high school bullied you know I just was a really withdrawn kid so photography uh, was my solution to that. Yeah, my, my, it was my creative outlet, but it was also my way of survival. It enabled me to, in high school, uh, hide out in the dark room, not have to make eye contact, not have to interact with people because whoever you were in the dark room with, you weren't seeing them either. So it, it became a veil, which was very useful for me in my teen years. Uh, even out in the world photographing, it was me and a camera. You know, between me and the world was this rather large camera back in the day. 
So I have to say the, my original draw photograph to photography was very much for my own comfort in the world. Uh, the irony was as looking back, the irony was I was exceptionally good at it. So because of that, I started, you know, in high school, I started getting all these national awards. And next thing I know, I'm, you know, going into New York city because my photographs are on display. And then I went off to photography school and won every award there and was, ultimately nominated by the student body to be the student representative at graduation. So I went from being shy, painfully shy, to having to speak at the graduation in front of the entire student body and all their guests. <laughs> so <laughs> my plan to use photography to withdraw kind of didn't work out as planned, um, but uh, it's okay. It's so I think in a lot of ways, I look at my career as a path of personal development, uh, just constantly stretching myself. Yeah, and after that experience, you actually uh, made that a career. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I actually went off to, I took, I did the gap year, you know, I, I grew up in a very lower middle class community and, and higher education wasn't much of a conversation. I mean, I don't even think we had guidance counselors that I don't, I don't even think they mentioned it. I had two older brothers who went right into construction, which was normal in my family. Wasn't normal for me. There was no way in hell I was going to go into construction. Like I just, that's just not my, uh, not my thing. And I would be more likely to go to a museum than a construction site. So uh, by two older brothers who went right into the family construction business, my father had grown up in a family that was all about construction, but he had taken a job as an IBMer uh, to, to support his family. And um, so I took a year off after high school, having no idea what I was going to do, no direction whatsoever. And I decided to go to photography school wondering, is this a possible career? Can something be made of, of this, of this skill set? And uh, lo and behold, you know, I, I branched out. I started a photography business uh, as a portrait photographer, originally in my, own, my hometown. Struggled there for three years and realized I was literally barking up the wrong tree. Like these were not the people I was meant to serve. Uh, redefined myself, kind of did a lot of soul searching and realized who, whom I was meant to serve happened to be, a, happened to be affluent people and not because of, of their money or any belief that the roads are paved in gold, but rather that I understood them. I understood their values. I understood their values for long-term thinking, you know, and, and investing in photographs to hand down from generation to generation requires discretionary income and a value system where you're willing to invest in the future. You're willing to invest in not just paying your rent this month, but willing to invest in your children's memories and having beautiful artwork for the walls. So I, I rebranded myself and uh, educated myself as to what makes affluent people tick. It's the basis of my, my book, Lingo, is to teach others that strategy of how do you understand the lingo, which I deem as kind of their their untapped emotions, you know, to speak someone's lingo is to speak to uh, their truest emotions that th they don't even, they're not expressing, but you know, are there. And that was my strategy to, uh, to learn the lingo and mindset of this affluent market that I knew nothing about prior, but felt if I could understand their world, I could serve them. And I did. And you very successfully rebranded yourself and followed that passion for the next 30 some years. It's been, I'm in my 37th year as a photographer. I mean, I started out when I was 20, pretty easy to do the math there. Um, but, uh, you know, in the last 12 years, I've been, as I refer to in, in uh, my, newest, my newest book, The Self-Employed Life, I refer to it as a business model of multiples and kind of pulling back the lever. So um, 
you know, because over the years, over the past 12 years, I developed many more other aspects of my business, coaching, speaking, things we'll talk about. Uh, so for me, it's been pulling back the lever of photography. So I do very little photography today. Uh, just my absolute very best clients that I just am not ready to let go of yet. Uh, but over the past 12 years, it's been a gradual uh, declining of my activity as a photographer so that I can open up more opportunities as a coach and a speaker and an author. Wow. Now, looking back over those years as a photographer, what would you say, and as a person who started a business and rebranded himself, what would you say were the most important skills that you needed to have in order to not only be a uh, successful businessman, but a professional photographer? Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, I've spent a lot of time lately thinking about the whole, you know, 10,000 hours of mastery. And it's like the chicken and the egg, you know, which comes first. I think there are innate skills that we have that, um, you know, so as a photographer, obviously I had a skill to see what other people don't see. I had a skill to compose. Um, but most importantly, I, it was the skill of communication. Yeah. You know, oddly enough, I think my, my years as a shy youth paid off really well for me because I was a masterful observer. You know, I'm really good. I'd say one of my critical skills is my critical skill of observation. I'm really good at sitting back and, and observing and also evaluating what that means. So that's what enabled me to serve this affluent clientele because I, I was willing, as I did, I went to high-end brands mm -hmm. uh, in New York City, which was about a two-hour drive from where I lived. And I would go into New York City to go to these high-end brands to observe the behavior of the customers. I wasn't there to learn the brand. I wasn't looking to mimic anything other than understand what, why did people choose this brand? Yeah. What was the, how, what was, how was it emotionally fulfilling them? So I'd say one of the most critical skills throughout my entire career, regardless of uh, the, the career, being a photographer, speaker, coach, you know, and because you and I both went to CTI, uh, you know, you're familiar with the language of, of the third voice, yeah. you know, and, and listening, reading the room and whether the room is you and one person or the room is an audience of thousands as a speaker, it's your ability to read the room. And that to me has always been my most important skill is the ability to read the room. And, and right now, I think that's a critical, a very critical skill because, you know, after the pandemic, people are in such different places. You really, as a business person, you really have to be willing to read the room, read that person, yeah. read society. You know, what does society, how is society different today than it was two years ago, pre-pandemic? Yeah. And that to me is, is the most important critical skill we can have at, at, in any career at any stage is our willingness to kind of read the room uh, it not only shows empathy and understanding for those you're serving it, in a practical sense, it's also staying relevant and, and understanding what's marketable in the current time. Because what was marketable two years ago could be very different than today because the world has changed. Yeah, you know, what, what, what I'm getting from what you're saying is that you, you really got Harvard Business School 101 and that you really, really learned to observe your consumer. Who was the customer? Who was the client? And that sort of thing. And that's some people spend two years getting a degree at uh, at Harvard, uh, learning that simple principle, and you got it cold. Yeah. Now, what you said you uh, developed an interest in coaching and so forth after a while. Where did that come from? 
And then, uh, you know, how did you prepare yourself to be a coach? Yeah. So I'd say, you know, my, I had hired a coach in 1999, which was long before it was cool. <laughs> in fact, yeah, I always say it was, so I used to practice, I did practice just about the same time I started practicing yoga as well. And I said, there were like two things I didn't tell anybody. One, I, that I was taking yoga classes. And two is I had a business coach because in 1999, both of those things were like outliers. You know, you were, that was, those are the strange things to do. But I had hired a coach in 1999 um, as the result of reading this crazy book called Diamond Cutter. Mm -hmm. the, I say crazy book because it is, I, I was just perusing as I often did through a bookstore uh, is Borders Books. And I'm always just looking for something to read. And there was this book on Buddhist philosophy in business. And I was raised Catholic and I'm thinking, you know, leave it to Buddhism to have any philosophies on business because Catholicism doesn't offer business advice. Like, I mean, this, is, this was uh, just such a, a crazy idea. So I picked up this book and was enchanted by the, the relationship between Buddhist philosophies, or you could just say spirituality and business, because prior to then, that has always been such a strong division, right? such a strong division between spirituality and business, business is business and, you know, personal life is personal life. And it was always such a strong line that I was in, just intrigued by that. So I read this book and at the end it offered uh, an outlet, a, a place called the Enlightened Business Institute, which no longer exists, but it was an organization that would match you up with a coach. So that's how I found my way to a coach in 1999. And um, honestly, Charlie, those were peak years in my photography career. And I did find it lonely, you know, the proverbial lonely at the top, like whatever the top is, it's relative for any of us. But that was a point when I was highly successful and found it incredibly lonely because I now had a staff of five people that uh, I was never really prepared to be an employer. And you have a certain responsibility. You can't share the hardest things you're going through with your employees. That's not for them to hear. But I also you know, is married and three kids. And, you know, you're also trying to protect your home life. So you don't bring everything. So it just, it literally was lonely. So to me, my original ambition in hiring a coach uh, was to have that listening partner. It turned out to also be, he turned out also to be a fantastic strategic partner. I worked with him for seven years. So when he retired in 2006, it was a gaping hole in my life. He was my first coach. And uh, so that actually is what led me to consider coaching myself. It's like, wow, what if I did for others what he did for me? Because that would be incredibly satisfying. So um, I went about doing some research, found my way to CTI, Coaches Training Institute, which I know you're all too familiar with. Uh, but for those that aren't, I found my way to them. And then as a reality check, I checked back in with my coach and said, hey, what do you know about this organization? And he had said, oh, that's where I got my certification. <laughs> I had never asked him in seven years. It never mattered to me what his education as a coach was. We just, we were so connected emotionally that it never occurred to me to ask him in the same way that all the 37 years of being a photographer, I don't think any client has ever asked me what my education is as a photographer. What they care about is how you show up. I show up talented and I show up, I show up authentically. They never needed to ask me. And I realized after seven years of working with this coach, I never asked him if he was certified and who he was certified with. So, but that sealed the deal for me that CTI was the right organization for me because if, if, I, if that's what his roots were, they were gonna be perfect for me. So that's how I found my way to CTI and, uh, and, and 
the core coaching program. And uh, that was my initial training. I since have received over a thousand hours of uh, coach training, wow. but that's what that started with that. Uh, I think it's a six month program. I think, I think sure, five or six months, five or six months or something. How would you, how would you describe the, what CTI actually taught about coaching? What, what, why is CTI the gold standard of, uh, of uh, coach training? Yeah. You know, it's such an interesting question when people ask me, like, what is coach training, particularly business coaching? Because like, what's your education? I said, well, there actually is no such thing that I'm aware of as business coach training, right? It's coach training for which you decide how you're going to apply it. And I happen to apply it to entrepreneurs, small business owners. Um, but the training is, at the end of the day, I think to me, training as a coach is, is listening skills. And it is uh, a skill set of understanding other people. And uh, I think what makes CTI the gold standard is, you know, for one, the facility, uh, or excuse me, the faculty, not the facility, the faculty, uh, they, you know, there's, I like the lineage, you know, all the, the, the family members that started CTI are still intimately involved in the organization. So they have a fantastic lineage. Uh, they're just as an organization, there's a lot of heart in yeah. what they do. And they truly care about the development of humanity, yeah. you know, and coaching like a lot of, I think like often like the best things in life. And I will say the same is true for me as a photography. The camera was my vehicle, right? Everything we do, those, what I have found, I used to call this the dirty little secret in photography, but I think it applies to a lot of things. I have found over the years that what we do is usually a vehicle for something much bigger. Mm -hmm. I had a talent as a photographer, but photography was a vehicle, I realize now, for me to have extensive conversations with highly successful people. Mm -hmm. That grew me as a person. I was able to tap into some of the greatest mindsets, which now play a role in who I am as a business coach. Yeah. And, and being able to, to regurgitate that information and share it with others. I feel like CTI in so many ways, they're very similar in that the coaching uh, programs that they offer are a vehicle for a much bigger ambition of the founders, which mm -hmm. is to improve our world. And I think, I think those that excel in almost any field, usually will find out like what they do is a vehicle for something much bigger. Yeah, you know, uh, Jeffrey, it seems like the skills that you learned as a photographer and that you described a little earlier about observation and, and seeing your, your client, that's the fundamental principle in coaching. I mean, it seems like you had the perfect background uh, as yeah. a photographer to observe and listen because in coaching, it's all about the client. Yeah, it's, you know, Charlie, it is crazy to me that at this point in my life, I'm still always unpacking how my years as a photographer have paid off for me in other ways. Um, as I said, it's hard to figure out where the, the path of mastery. And like I said, it's a bit like chicken or egg because there was, I was drawn to photography, but 37 years of, of observation, 37 years of observing human behavior undoubtedly has taught me how to observe consumer behavior. Absolutely. which is exactly how I help my clients attract their ideal clients. It, it has helped me, my brain, I always say, first, my brain thrives in chaos because a photo session is innately chaotic, particularly for me, because I photograph on location. So I'm, 
as a photographer on location, they're uncontrollable circumstances. I've got the wind, I've got the sun, I've got people I'm photographing, all of different uh, personalities. There are so many circumstances. It is innately a chaotic environment for which I thrive in because I fundamentally believe there's something there for me to create and compose. That's why my ideal coaching client uh, comes to me and usually will say they either feel like they're a hot mess or they're all over the place. Like, and they're looking for support. They almost, they almost innately feel like they've got most or all of the pieces. Yeah. They just, it just feels like it's all over the place. And I'm like, that's perfect for me. Like, that's when I know I have attracted an ideal coaching client because that is such a natural environment for me to thrive in. Uh, because of my skill of observation, I can see in them what they can't see. I can see what their business needs that they can't see. I can see what their customers need to see and hear from them in order to hire them. I can see their potential that in themselves that they can't see. So it undoubtedly has so much to do with probably who I am innately that drew me to photography, as well as how my brain has been mastered over 37 years of observation. Wow. You know, uh, you demonstrated so well when you got into your photography business that you had an idea to do that. And then you took that idea to reality and that's the production skill. And then you got interested in coaching. And, you know, one of the key things in coaching is to get your name out there so people can find you and that sort of thing. So you developed a podcast as a vehicle to do that. Just tell us a little bit about uh, what that, what, where that came from, what was, where the interest came from and, and how did you start it? How did you take that idea and make it a reality? That's the, yeah. I just so admire you for doing that. Yeah, I do tend to just, I have an idea, I just kind of go with it. So the idea for the podcast actually came while um, doing CTI's leadership program, which as you know, is a year long program. And there was no direct assignment in the leadership program relative to starting a podcast or anything like it. Uh, while there are a, a number of assignments and projects you work on throughout the year, something of this nature wasn't one of them. I just took it upon myself because I took the leadership program because I wanted to be a bigger person of the world. You know, I knew that there was, I was capable of more. So I, that's why I joined this year long leadership program. So along with that, I had this idea podcasting was, I mean, while it had been around for a while, it wasn't well known until about that time, 2013, 2000, uh, excuse me, 2013, 2014. And um, so I decided to explore it as an option, but here's honestly, Charlie, here's what I was trying to prove. And you may see a pattern here, <laughs> and I think your, your listeners will, will perhaps hear a pattern that I have always used business as a vehicle for my personal development, which is fundamentally what I teach. And we will, maybe we'll talk about that later. But for me at that time in 2014, I was faced with a, a, a challenge. And that challenge was I was starting to question as we do when we're going through uh, intense moments of growth, I was questioning who I was, what I was worth, because up to that point, I had been a professional photographer and a professional speaker. And what I had, because I started, I was speaking in the photo industry, because as a successful photographer, I was being asked to speak to associations and organizations. And what I realized is that I was a professional, basically, I was a professional guest. I was always the person invited into someone's home, or I, I used to jokingly say, I, I was the one who always had to ask where the bathroom was, <laughs> right? So 
But here's what that was starting to do with my brain. I started, it started causing me to question my worth because if I'm always the guest, is it because I'm good at what I do or is it because I forced myself in the door? Hmm. And I wondered, I needed to know for my own sense of value, whether I was worth coming to, because I was such a chaser as an entrepreneur. I was always chasing my success, always chasing the next level of business. I needed to prove to myself that I was worth coming to. Mm -hmm. So I started the podcast to see, would anybody show up? Would guests say yes? And would people listen? It was absolutely 100% a personal test to see if I was worth showing up for. And um, I, my first, I just started the podcast. I had built a fairly decent email list of a couple thousand people from speaking at that point. So I was able to launch it with some people who were on an email list. Um, so I was able to get a decent listenership. I think the first couple months, about 1400 downloads a month, which to just kicking off a podcast is pretty decent. That's really good. Yeah, um, but it was because I had somewhat of a, a database built up that I could announce to. And it wasn't podcasting seven years ago, wasn't nearly as noisy as it is now. I mean, there's a fraction of the number of podcasts. And uh, there was no master plan. I literally started it and it just kept going and going. And now seven years later, nearly 700 episodes, uh, nearly 2 million downloads, um, I'm still doing it. And it's you know, morphed and changed over the, you mentioned my rebranding. I mean, we've, we've changed over the years. Yeah, tell us about that a little bit. You started it as Creative Warriors and then you yeah. rebranded it. Uh, you know, what, what led to that? Yeah. So when I started as Creative Warriors, because I was, I identified primarily as a photographer at the time uh, in 2014, you know, I was transitioning into building a coaching practice, but photography was still my mainstay. And where I felt the, the, where I felt the most need was in the world of business was creatives in business. So I started the show as Creative Warriors as a show for creatives in business. Uh, it, within a couple of years, I then realized two things. One is that was a pretty limited audience, uh, you know, creatives in business. It also became a challenge because a lot of people just don't identify as being creative. So it, it, the show itself sort of evolved on its own to wanting to broaden it to being people in business that are looking for creative solutions to business. In other words, I was built, I morphed the show into being for people who wanted to be in business in a different way because the current way of doing business, the current way of sales felt creepy. And they, in their hearts, knew that there had to be a better way. And that's, so we kind of took the show, we tried expanding it so it wasn't limited to just creatives in business, but people that wanted to be in business in a different way. And sailed at that for several years. When I had the idea for my latest book, The Self-Employed Life, which was at the end of 2019, I began writing it uh, in early 2020. Uh, I was working with my publisher and the publisher tossed out the idea, like, well, what do you think about rebranding your podcast? And Cause I made it very clear, like my, the clarity around this book, the clarity once again in my life about who I was meant to serve was extreme. Just like as a photographer, it became very clear to me that I was meant to serve affluent people because I got them. I realized in January of 2020, I am meant to serve self-employed business owners. 
And of course, Charlie, as it often is, it's the most obvious thing in the world. I've actually never had a traditional job. I've never received a paycheck. I've been self-employed since the age of 14. Wow. Right? So of course, this is who I'm meant to serve. It's all I know. I know the self-employed life from the trenches, not a Harvard degree, but from the trenches. So of course, this is who I'm meant to serve. With that level of clarity and commitment, my publisher had suggested rebranding the podcast. If they said, look, if you're going to own the space as the coach for self-employed business owners, why not just change your podcast? And I said, absolutely not. That's insane. Like I have a success, successful podcast. Why would I rebrand it? But with just a little bit of thought, I realized they were right. It's like, this makes sense because from this point, as far as in my foreseeable future, I see myself being in service to self-employed business owners mm -hmm. as their coach, as an author producing content, but even as an advocate, I, I created a, an advocacy group called Voices of the Self-Employed. I plan on getting politically active on behalf of self-employed business owners. Um, and so with all that, it just made sense to rebrand the podcast and really own the space so that those that I'm meant to serve know that I'm there for them. And that's why we rebranded it. Well, and it's been a tremendous success. And one of the things that impressed me, uh, Jeffrey, is that when I look at the series of podcasts that you have, all oh, oh, 600 of them, that sort of stuff, there's an interesting mix of episodes. And you know, what I really like is that you'll have guests talk about certain things, maybe a book they've written or something like that. And then you'll have uh, an episode about coaching. Yeah. What, what led to that? That's a brilliant idea. It turned out to be, again, a lot of, I say turned out to be because with the podcast, there has never been a plan to the podcast. Like when I did a podcast quite some time ago, uh, which I think is a, a fundamentally a just really good business advice today, which is to uh, follow what's unfolding. You know, I'm a huge prop proponent of having a, a, a direction, you know, you want to go in, but I'm not so sure how I feel about a plan or goal setting nowadays. Like, I feel like we want to be clear in our direction. But I think we can hold ourselves back if we stick to that, that goal too much, where I, I have had better success just following what's unfolding and being really attuned, observing and being attuned to what's unfolding. And um, so I started the podcast. It was I knew I wanted to have an interview format right from the beginning because I wanted to see if people would show up and, um, and have conversations with me. So it was originally once a week, it quickly went to twice a week. And then at one point it was three interviews a week because, um, you know, we were getting such a tremendous response. Now I'm someone who I like to be overly prepared for everything I do. And that includes this part. I read every book. So it just be after a couple of years, it became unsustainable to read three business books a week. Yeah. And yet I wouldn't compromise. So I dropped it back to two episodes a week. Then I had somebody say something very insightful to me, which is why I introduced the, the new style of episode. Uh, this person said to me, said, you know, you do a fantastic job at making your guests look good. You read their content, you make their content so attractive, but I don't know that the show is really serving you because you're not shining. Yeah. And with that, I, I took that to heart and said, you know, it's kind of true. And, and what had shifted in the podcast over the years is that I realized people wanted more of me. They were listening to the show, much to my surprise. I said, I went into the, I developed it wondering if people would, would even come, come to me. As it turned out, they actually liked what I had to say. So I then balanced it by turning it down to one interview episode a week. 
And then, which is a Wednesday episode. And the Monday episode we call coaching break. Mm -hmm. uh, when it was, when the show was creative warriors, it was called talking stick. So I created the alternate episode way back then. And the idea is that on Mondays on the coaching break, break episodes, they're 10 to 15 minute episodes where I'm giving specific coaching advice as if I was sitting, you know, you were a coaching client and this is the advice I'd want you to, to receive. Uh, and then the Wednesday episode is in interviews. Now it also turns out that again, not part of my plan, but it also turned out to balance the different types of personalities of listeners. There are people that don't like to listen to long term, long episodes of 40 minutes. So they love the coaching break episodes because they're 10 to 15 minutes. It's more bite-sized. There are other people that like long in-depth conversations. So it turned out that the show with that format, it appeals to, to some people, it both episodes appeal to them. They like the blend. To other people, they pick or choose. As it turns out, now that we've been doing this for quite some time, the, um, the shorter episodes of just me speaking are considerably more popular now than the interview shows, yeah. which is ironic because so much more work goes into the interview episodes because I have to read every book, develop the questions, and yet I can sit down with no script, no notes, just an idea of what I want to say. I can crank that episode out in you know under 30 minutes. I've created a 15-minute episode, and they're far more popular. Wow. wow. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned the word talking stick. May I say May I guess that you learned you got the talking stick concept from the CTI leadership program? Exactly, you know, and because when the show is creative called Creative Warriors, this idea of having a talking stick being passed around a circle really suited the the vibe of Creative Warriors, you know. Um, so that's exactly where it came from. And then when I that was actually one of the biggest challenges when we rebrand as the Self Employed Life. What was the appropriate name for the Monday shorter episodes? Because talking stick no longer fit. Um, as well. So that's when we change it to coaching break. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, you have interesting guests. How did you, how, how did your podcast series uh, evolve in the way you select the guests for your, for your podcast shows? Yeah, I think it's one of the most important um, aspects for a podcaster, particularly one that uh, hosts guests. And that is be really strict on your vetting process. People are pretty, listeners are unforgivable. And if they have grown to appreciate your show with based on an expectation of the type of content they're going to get, I don't know that they give you more than one chance to screw that up. You know, maybe they give you a second chance, but if they suddenly go to an episode that feels really off mark, from what they understand the show to be about. Uh, I don't know that they give you much more than a first chance. And this, I feel the same way about, about language, honestly, as you know, as a podcaster, uh, you know, in iTunes, each episode can be rated for explicit language or for general audiences. But my feeling is I tell my guests, we're a clean show. Yeah. We don't swear on the show. Um, and that, you know, some people that's part of their brand image that they, they, they curse a lot and I get it and they might be a great guest, but while I have the control to change the rating for that episode, I'm thinking of the mom who's driving in her car with her kids used to listening to a show with a certain vibe and suddenly that vibe changes and an F-bomb is dropped, Yeah, right? I wouldn't do that to somebody. So I feel like that 
vetting your guests is incredibly important to create the consistency and the predictability that your listeners can expect. So we've always been super strict on, uh, you know, and, and have high, very high standards for who becomes a guest on the show. As it is now, seven years in, and that literally be seven years in July uh, that uh, that I've had the podcast. Um, at this point, we're pretty much invitation only mm -hmm. uh, because it enables us to. I see I meet so many people with amazing content. I pretty much just reach out to people that I want to interview. Uh, big name, acclaim, fame is not never been a criteria. It's nice when the two go best, you know, hand in hand. But I really just want people who have really interesting content. But I'll tell you what, Charlie, we I don't shut the door to we I get about 12 inquiries a day to be a guest. I glance at every one of them. Uh, and if and I say glance, and that and I, I try to let people know that it's like it's a very quick glance. If you can't tell me in the first two sentences why you're valuable to my listeners, then you're not the right guest. But I glance at them all because a big part of what I'm all about as a person and what I value is acceptance. It's one of my core values. And I always think about the diamond in a rough that just doesn't, isn't getting the attention yet. So we're pretty much invitation only, but I, I do look at every inquiry that comes in just to see if somebody, if there's somebody new out there that is so compelling in their topic that they deserve the spotlight, yeah. you know, um, but it's tough because I do get about 12 inquiries a day and, you know, it's maybe once every two to three weeks that I pick something out from those inquiries and say, well, this is unusual. Uh, it's very rare. I actually had somebody, I actually emailed somebody back recently because the way, and it was an assistant presenting her boss and the way she presented her boss was so intriguing. I congratulated her. I said, Kudos to you. I said, because I, this is a gate very hard to get through, but what you wrote is so compelling. I'll have her on as a, a guest. And that's very rare. Wow. You know, Jeffrey, you obviously found your niche. Uh, you found it early on in photography and you found it now in podcasting, and coaching and that sort of stuff. And you're doing things that you, you simply love to do and that you're very, very good at. Tell me how that feels. Tell us how that feels. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, you, I always say as a coach, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, is that clarity is one of the hardest things to sell, but the most valuable thing we can gain. And that, you know, what I, I almost, I am at a loss of words to express what my life has looked like since January of 2020. Now, you know, again, I am 37 years into a professional career being self-employed. And, and yet I can actually say that January 2020 was one of the most pivotal moments of my life when I got clear that I was meant to serve self-employed business owners. And it was the result of actually, in, uh, in January of 2020, I was on stage at a very large convention giving a talk that was a bit of a stretch for me. It was an unusual talk. <clears throat> it was an organization I've, I've presented at many times. And I felt like I'd given them all the practical business advice I, I could give. So I wanted to stretch them. So I gave this talk and called it Life is an Everything Bagel. <laughs> and it was much more inspirational with business lessons tapped in. And I walked off the stage. And by the way, I was already working on the outline for what I thought was going to be in my next book. But that talk tapped into 
such deep resources of who I am and wh who I wanted to serve and who I am as a coach that I walked off the stage and texted my editor and said, I'm writing the wrong book. This is the book I want to write, and this is who I want to write it for. And it was for self-employed business owners. That clarity in January of 2020 has enabled me to crank out more stuff than I could even list for you. I mean, not only did I write the book in 2020, released it May 4th of 2021, along the way, completely rebranded the podcast, rebranded my website, launched a new website. Uh, I have created the advocacy group, Voices of the Self-Employed. I'm launching a business school in September of 2021 called the Self-Employed Business School, which is going to be an entire uh, educational program for, specifically for self-employed business owners. I did a two-day summit, the Self-Employed Summit, prior to the book launch. I can't even list all the things, but what I can tell you is I get people contact me almost every day like, do you sleep? <laughs> I was going to. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, what it, to, to answer your question, what does it feel like? To know who you're meant to serve feels like such clarity that I get five times as much done with a fraction of the effort. It just flows so easily that, yeah, I get plenty of sleep. I get plenty of rest. I kayak all weekend long. Like I don't overwork. It's just, I know exactly who I'm serving and it enables you to just kind of just, it's, it's, it truly is the meaning of working in flow. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, suppose that we were in an, an elevator and we only had about 30 or 40 seconds to travel up or down to the floor. And, and uh, somebody says to you, Jeffrey, I'm a self-employed person. Uh, do you have any advice for me? Uh, what would be the 30 second bottom line advice as we go from the first to the 72nd floor? I would say your level of business success is directly proportionate to your level of personal development. Hard stop. And that is one of the key things that I, that I teach in my book and what I work with my clients is that this is, this is the most unique aspect of being self-employed. It's not a mistake that the term self-employed begins with self because so does your success. Your success begins with your personal development because your personal development determines the capacity for what you're capable of and what you're willing to receive. Mm -hmm. For example, and I look at, I use the term capacity very intentionally because that's what personal development, when you're self-employed, the goal of personal development is to prepare yourself for the next level of success because we carry so much old information with us, so many mindset blocks, that that's what keeps us from our next level of success. People keep putting in more hours and working harder. That's not always the solution. The solution has to begin with increasing your capacity. So for example, the hardest thing I think for many people to break through in order to get to their next level of business success is to first break through what they're holding on to that's that they think they deserve, yeah. right? There's some level of, that's why my talk was called Life Isn't Everything Bagel. Because <laughs> I wanted, I wanted, I used it as a metaphor for people to stop choosing between sesame seeds, poppy seeds, garlic, and onion and choose everything, yeah. right? And that's one of the hardest problems for people is because they pick and choose. They, they're willing to be uh, successful in business, but unhappy in their personal life, or they're willing to be happy in their personal life at the sacrifice of being able to put the effort into their business. We pick, it's not until we stop choosing that we actually choose everything. Yeah. 
which is why it's called Life is an Everything Bagel. So my advice, point blank, is your business success begins with your personal development to increase the capacity for which the level of success that you're willing to receive. Well, those are excellent words. And I would encourage our listeners to, if they want more, and I encourage them to have more, is just to get the book, yeah. you know, The Self-Employed Life, and you can get it on Amazon.com. As well as, you know, and actually you can direct them. The best place to go is uh, theselfemployedlife.me. The theselfemployedlife.me. Ah. Uh, the the uh, you can, of course, go directly to Amazon. But the reason, so this is my ba- my page about the book, but there are actually nine online retailers where you can buy the book. Oh. And that was very, I mean, I wrote a book in support of self-employed business owners. So I didn't necessarily want all the money to go to the biggest behemoth. So there are uh, nine wonderful places you can buy the book. In addition to Amazon and Barnes and Noble, there are stores like, there's an online business called bookshop.org. Um, Bookshop.org donates 10% of all their proceeds to independent bookstores, wow, right? Which are helping self-employed. So um, the self the self-employed life.me, uh, not only there's also a lot of other content there too that's available for free, but it also gives you a choice where you want to buy the book based on your values. Very good point. Very good point, Jeffrey. And now uh, additionally, how can somebody get in touch with you if they want you as a speaker or how can someone access your podcast series? Yeah, um, honestly, everything podcast, uh, most all my content is at the selfemployed.me, the self, excuse me, the selfemployedlife.me. Um, my main website is jeffreyshaw.com. Uh, so particularly speaking inquiries will go through there and through my representative. And, uh, but, you know, in any way you step into my world, I do my best to have everything connected. So if you step into my world at the selfemployedlife.me and you you download anything I'm offering there, you're going to end up on my my email list so that hopefully we can build a relationship. I'm not a spammer. I don't just send out a bunch of junk, but um, you know, it's the opportunity to build a relationship, which is always what's most important to me. Well, that's Jeff, you certainly have been a marvelous success uh, both as uh, in the photography business and as a coach and as a podcaster. I admire you, sir. And I want to thank you so much for being our guest today on It's All About Skills. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Charlie. As for me, I'm an internationally certified coach. My name is Charlie Jett, and I specialize in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, charliejetcoaching.com, or if you're into podcasts, listening, just go to itsallaboutskills.com. So thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.